So this morning, we pick up where we left off in our series, The Good Godly Life, where we have been carefully examining the Sermon on the Mount and the good godly life that Jesus presents to us in it. Uh, Two Sundays ago, at the end of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus urged his disciples and us not to be anxious with worry about the deepest needs of our lives because... Our Heavenly Father not only knows what we most need, He is sovereign and good to care for and to provide for us. Now, there is no doubt that each of us, in our own way, worries about someone or something. Each of us does. But the things that I worry about are often very different from the things you worry about. The things I worry about might seem trite. The things you worry about might seem silly to me. And I suspect that this is why Jesus, in Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6, our passage this morning, he transitions from warning us against anxiety and worry to warning us against judging one another. The reality is, we are each worried about something we are each weak and prone to wander in one way or another we are each needing to grow and to mature in one area or another and so we must be on guard against the temptation to point fingers at one another in a condemning fashion Uh, don't know if you've seen the absolute classic movie Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. In it, Wonka describes for his guests this piece of candy that makes one spit in a variety of colors. Before he even finishes, young Violet Beauregard interrupts him while picking her nose to tell him that spitting is a disgusting habit. This is kind of where we're going to go this morning. Spitting's a disgusting habit. And Wonka, of course, says, I know of a worse one, (laughs) right? Our passage isn't going to speak to Violet Beauregard, but the type of person, like myself, who tends to be like Violet Beauregard, if you haven't already, I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. I'll read and we'll pray and we'll examine it. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, When there is the log in your own eye, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Say a word of prayer with me. 
O Father, by your most Holy Spirit, we pray that you would teach to us, expound to our hearts this message from your holy word. Change our thinking, change our attitudes, change our conduct to and with one another and with the world for your glory, for our good godly life, for our joy, for the continued preparation of your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. It's in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Judge not that you be not judge, Jesus commands in verse one. Now this verse might just rival John 3.16 when it comes to how often it is quoted today, right? Non-Christians quote it to Christians, hoping to silence them. Shh, judge not. Keep your mouth closed. Christians quote it to other Christians, hoping to avoid accountability and hoping to persist in their sin. Judge not is thrown around an awful lot, but is it correctly understood? I would argue largely no, it's not. And so for the remainder of our time, let's consider carefully what Jesus tells his disciples and us. Let's consider three things. Number one, what judgment is. Number two, when judgment is wrong. And number three, when judgment is right, we'll consider those three things. Number one, what judgment is. Again, verse one, Jesus commands us not to judge one another. And then in verse two, in his motivating warning, I think we get better clarity of what he's talking about and what judgment is. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And so from that warning, we gather judgment is the pronouncement of a verdict, right? Judging is declaring someone guilty of wrongdoing based upon our own system of measurement. So when I judge another person, and, and yes, it happens, I'm a sinner, when I judge another person for their words or attitudes or actions, it's as if I've conducted a mini trial in the courtroom of my mind. And in the courtroom of my mind, I am not only the jury, I am the judge. With a perfect grasp of the law, by the way, right? In the courtroom of my mind, I weigh and I measure the evidence that I have gathered about someone. And then without bias or nearsightedness, of course, I determine the scope of their guilt. And after I drop my gavel of judgment, I then regard and treat that person according to my verdict as if I were God. This is what judgment is. I would emphasize this is what wrongful judgment is and wrongful judgment reeks of arrogance and self-righteousness. Against this breed of judgment, Jesus warns and it's sobering for with the judgment that you pronounce, believer, you too will be judged. 
And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you as well. Now, I don't think it's too broad of me to say of each of us here that in the courtroom of each of our minds, we are so quick to drop the gavel of guilt upon other people and we are so quick to then regard and treat them according to our pronouncements. That man is a workaholic, straight up. She is a blabbermouth. He's a flake. He's a coward. She's a clueless mom. And he just needs to get serious about Jesus and grow up. That's what he needs to do. Now, realize something with me. The reason we can be so quick to drop the gavel of guilt upon others in the courtroom of our own minds is because we are so quick to overlook our own guilt. And when we are quick to overlook our own guilt, we are thus quick to overlook the patience and kindness and mercy that God has lavished on us despite our guilt. Those of us who are quick to judge the weaknesses and sins and immaturities of our peers reveal how little we actually think of the mercy and grace that we have received from our Heavenly Father. And this is why Jesus is warning his disciples and us in verse 2, look, if you are mercilessly critical of your fellow Christians, you're forfeiting the mercy that you've received from God. You're blaspheming it. You're trampling on it. Now, I'll ask you the question that I am asking myself. Are you prone toward judgment, toward this breed of judgment? Are you prone toward judgmentalism? Are you quicker to spot in others weaknesses and sins and areas of needed growth than you are to spot those areas in yourself? I'll just say it. I have to. This is my job. That's sin. You are sinning when you do that and so am I. It is arrogance and it tramples on mercy and it's what Jesus is getting at in verses 3 and 4 when he rhetorically asks, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own? How can you even say, here, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own? Now, Jesus knows his audience really well. And the way he is phrasing this question indicates to us that the Jews surrounding him on the mount were just as steeped in wrongful judgment as we are. Now, elsewhere... Jesus teaches us that when it comes to honor, we should always put others before us. But here he is warning, when it comes to judgment, we must never put others before us. And this is point number two, when judgment is wrong. Imagine with me that we are all on an airplane together now imagine that the cabin depressurizes and the oxygen masks drop down. Do you know how many of us would need to be reminded to put our own masks on before helping someone else? Probably none of us. As soon as the mask drops down, right? It's me, right? Because in matters of survival, we instinctively begin with ourselves. But when it comes to judgment and judgmentalism, we never start with ourselves. 
actually, I think that it's also a matter of survival. Listen to this. Survival of the flesh. Deep, deep, deep down in the recesses of yours and my subconsciousness, we are all carrying guilt. We each know that we struggle with pride and anger and lust and jealousy and gossip, overindulgence, worry, greed, and a thousand other sins and habits and immaturities. We all know deep down, we all struggle with those things. So, when we spot someone else struggling with those very same things, in an act of fleshly survival and self-justification, we try to transfer our shadow of guilt onto others by pronouncing them guilty. I'm okay. I'm okay. Look at them. Look at that. They're the wreck. It's like a form of survival, trying to keep our flesh intact and unbruised. You've all heard the term guilt by association, right? It might help to understand judgment as innocence by association. Because when we pronounce the sins of others before we pronounce our own, it is a way of justifying ourselves. Compared to them, I'm darn near innocent. At least I'm less guilty. It's a self-preservation. When we understand judgment in this light, we conclude, man, be sobered by this with me. Chris, hear this. A person who is marked by judgmentalism is a person who is not walking in the justification of the resurrected Christ. This is a gospel issue. When judgment is wrong, it is judgment that is divorced from the gospel. I think that I personally, and if you can relate with me, maybe we all can, I think that we have a lot to glean from the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1 where he says this, church, this is a trustworthy saying deserving of full acceptance. In other words, he says, we should all embrace what I'm about to say as personal truth. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and as far as I'm concerned, I am the foremost sinner. Not my neighbor, not my boss, not my classmate, not my community group member, not my spouse. I am the foremost sinner. This is what Paul is saying. This, this is trustworthy. We all need to be doing this. Me, I'm the worst in the room. And yet, then Paul continues in 1 Timothy 1, and yet I, the foremost sinner, I have received mercy. And I have received mercy, he writes, for this reason so that the perfect patience of Jesus might be displayed. Are we hearing this? So let me use me. I, Chris Lawson, as far as I'm concerned, I am the most grievous sinner in this room. And I have been lavished with the patient mercy of Christ so that I would see what patience with a sinner looks like. And now... How on earth, as the most grievous, horrific sinner in this room, how could I, how on earth could I withhold patience and mercy from one of you? 
Now notice with me three times verses verses two through five. Three times as Jesus instructs us about judgment, he uses the word brother, right? Why do you see the specks in your brother's eye? How can you say to your brother, verse five, then you will be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This word, Adelphos, does not mean biological sibling. It means Christian sibling. Jesus' instructions concerning judgment are intended for and within the family of God, the church. And he clarifies as much in verse 6 when he says this. He goes outside the church. Don't give to dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs because guess what? They'll trample you and attack you. Now look, we're still under point number two of our outline. We're still looking at when judgment is wrong. We've seen that judgment is wrong when we pronounce verdicts over our fellow believers and then treat them according to our verdicts and measurements as if we are God. Now we learn from Jesus that it is wrong when we assess and address unbelievers as though they were believers. Ardent unbelievers are those who have heard the gospel, but they've made it clear they want nothing to do with Jesus. Ardent unbelievers do not submit to the truth of God's word and then like stray dogs and pigs, they are entrenched in the muck of willful, rebellious hard-heartedness. In verse 16, Jesus directly tells us that we are not to assess and to address unbelievers as though they were believers. And the Apostle Paul confirms this clearly in 1 Corinthians 5. He writes to the Corinthian church and he says this, What have I, the Apostle Paul, what have I to do with judging outsiders, those outside the church? God will judge those outside the church. Is it not then those inside the church whom you are to judge? This is one of the most oft forgotten passages in all of scripture for professing Christians because professing Christians are just as quick, don't judge me, eh, hold on brother. And we'll talk about the right way to do that. But actually, isn't it funny that the world is right when they say, judge not me, to a degree, you're right. I can't hold you to the same standard. I can't hold you to the standard of Christ. God will take care of you. I'm not. I'm not here to take care of you for that. In fact, Jesus is even saying, you know what? Those ardent unbelievers who are maliciously, they're looking for a fight. Those who are picketing on the street corners, don't grab your signs, Christians, and go down there and cross picket them. What's that going to do? Nothing. So right here, well, with the verse that I've just quoted from 1 Corinthians 5, we see that there is a time and a place for judging rightly. And Jesus tells us as much in verse 5 of our passage. After calling people who are judging one another preemptively or prematurely, calls them hypocrites. First take the log out of your own eye and then, and then you will see clearly enough To what? To go and take the speck out of your brother's eye. Number three, when judgment is right. 
according to Jesus in verse 5. After we have humbly and prayerfully examined ourselves, then we are to approach our believing brother or sister about their pattern of weakness or sin or an area of needed growth. Within the community of saints, within the church, there is a proper time and place for judging. Now, there is also a proper way that we might do it. And here's a way that we might do it. This is an example. Okay, brother, I'm coming to you. I love you, and I know that you love me. Now, I think I see a pattern of sin in your life, and I want to bring it to your attention because I love you. Now, before I proceed, please know I am not coming to you as one who thinks he is sinless. I have spent the last few days seeking the Lord and asking him to reveal any hypocrisy in what I'm about to tell you. But brother, hear me. I don't think you speak honorably of your wife. Or I don't think that you are an active leader of your children. Or I've seen the way you scan waitresses when we go out to eat together. Now, I could be wrong, but I think that this is a pattern of sin for you. And hear this, hear this. Because Jesus lived and died and rose on your behalf and mine, you are not condemned, brother. You are justified right where you stand, but you have also received his Holy Spirit, which means you have received all power to triumph over this sin and to behold the good godly life that is yours in Christ. So brother, if the Holy Spirit shows you that what I am saying about you is true, hallelujah. And I don't want to leave it at that. I want to pray with you. I want to walk with you. And I want to help you to hold fast to Christ in times of temptation. Because guess what? I expect you to do the exact same thing for me. We are in this together. We are the family of God together for God's glory and our joy. Now, that could be an example of right judgment. And actually, we're all expected to do that to and with one another. I think one of the most crucial differences between wrong and right judgment is the sequence of events. First, when we think we see a pattern of weakness or a sin or a needed growth in our fellow believer, first, we must do the prayerful work, hard work, prayerful work of self-reflecting and allowing the Holy Spirit to remove any logs from our own eyes. Now, this doesn't mean that we are to be sinless before we approach a brother or sister because none of us would ever approach anyone else. Sinlessness isn't possible here. Instead, removing the log from our own eye prayerfully by the Holy Spirit means not mimicking the hypocrisy of Violet Beauregard. Spitting's a dirty habit. You should stop it right now, right? And, that, and it's humorous, it's humorous, but come on, be with me in this, that judgment and wrongful judgment usually takes place when I jump the gun, when I throw the gavel, and guess what? I'm gonna regard that person, yep, she's a sinner, he's a sinner, while I'm doing the exact same thing or the same thing of a different species. 
after we have done the prayerful work of self-reflecting and removing the log from our own eye by God's grace, then, then, the posture that we have as we address the sin of a fellow believer is one of humility and gospel mercy. And it's powerful. Is it not, imagine with me, is it not far easier to receive rebuke from a fellow believer when they come to us in a humble posture, willing to even air their own dirty laundry? Look, brother, I'm coming to you because I've seen you scan the waitress and I just got, look, I wrestled with that. I had to take, make a covenant with my eyes. I can see it because I struggle and I'm tempted. I see, I, I'm willing to be real with you now in this moment. Instead of dropping a gavel of immediate condemnation, I am one with you. We're on the same level. Does that not, I know receiving a rebuke is difficult, but does it not just temper and tone the situation to have someone come to you from an even keeled look I am not sinless I don't have my act together but I see something in you and for the good godly life that God wants you to have I just need to bring it to your attention because I, I think it's thieving joy from you is it not profoundly powerful if and when someone approaches us that way doesn't it lower the guard and make us apt and, 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 and ready to, okay, all right, all right, brother. And I praise God for, for the men in this church, several, more than I can count, unfortunately, but fortunately, several of, have you come to, have come to me in that manner? Chris, I know you're, you're a pastor in the church, but man, that we're seeing something and, and it stinks to be in that moment. And yet at the same time, there's such a humility where it's like, all right, man, I know I know you love me and okay, I'm gonna lower my guard and Holy Spirit soften me to receive this and, and help me to repent where need be. It's, 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 a, it's a life-changing posture to bring when we get the sequence of events correct. The wrong sequence of events leads to condemnation and disunity but the right sequence of events leads to gospel love and unity and mutual growth. And that is the kind of church I believe we are and I want to be more of it. Because at the end of the day, man, let's all zoom out together and let's remember the good news that by our heavenly father, look, I don't care what your guilt is, I don't care what your sin is. If you are by faith, by repentant faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are in the family of God under his blood, you have been and I have been pardoned of all guilt at the cross of Christ. We, you and I have received mercy and grace. Our heavenly father is slow to anger with us. He has not and will not drop the gavel of guilt on us. Instead, in Christ, he abounds toward us with steadfast love and faithfulness. If we but remember that while we, while I was yet in sin, Christ died for me. 
If you remember the same, and if we are prayerfully, humbly going before the Holy Spirit and asking him to help us remove the log from our eye, then I believe a fresh wind of clarity for us to see and courage for us to approach one another, we will actually start, even more so, being the church, holding one another to account with righteous judgment that is for our joy, it's not for our harm. Remembering the gospel that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, should humble us out of wrongful judgment toward one another and should humble us in rightful judgment toward our brother and sister and should humble us to receive the rightful judgment of a loving brother or sister. If we could just get the sequence of events and Holy Spirit, if you would just arm us with humility to approach one another, I believe if we, if we grow in this, I believe we darn, we darn near could be the happiest in Jesus that we could possibly be as a church in Wayne County. We could be the happy Jesus church, right? <laughs> We're thinking about changing the name. Um, so. <laughs> Would you pray with me? And then we're gonna sing together. Well, Father, um, as Pastor Ed already led us in a prayer of confession, I just need to confess again that, well, to my shame, I, I, am, I am quick to judge. And, and I'm sorry, not only to those people but I'm sorry to you for scorning and trampling on the mercy and the patience that you have shown me. And my particular breed of judgment isn't always look at their sin, it's look at their lack of maturity. Oh, how much more mature am I in that area of life? Oh, it's disgusting, Lord, and I need to recognize it as the arrogance that it is. Please forgive me. And if my brothers and sisters, my dear family around me, if, if they can relate in this, God, just forgive us all. And Lord, would you lead us now into, man, I would even pray for a season in this church where we explore the joys of humble, prayerful self-reflection and then the joys of humble, prayerful, confident approaching of one another to lovingly, gently bring to each other's attention areas of needed growth and that it would be to the sanctifying joy of this church as we are brought from one degree of glory to the next by your Holy Spirit, who doesn't just justify by, by, um, by implanting the gospel into our hearts. Your Holy Spirit sanctifies. We are to make progress into deeper realms of joy-filled Christ-likeness and Lord, I pray that you would bring us into a season of that here at Oaks, the Happy Jesus Church. <laughs> we pray all of this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.